felt more and more unhappy the more I earned and yeah. gained. And I hit 30 years old and just had breakdown after breakdown after breakdown in life and internally. And I was just like, I should be a lot happier and more fulfilled, but I'm not. And that's when I started going down the healing journey of uncovering, well, why do I want to feel this way? Welcome to Imposters, the show where I talk to world-class execs, athletes, and entertainers about their personal challenges and how overcoming those challenges has shaped their careers and lives for the better. I'm your host, Alex Lieberman, co-founder and executive chairman of Morning Brew. My guest today is Lewis Howes. Lewis is a fellow podcaster, entrepreneur, and author of the New York Times bestseller, The School of Greatness. I came across Lewis's podcast a while back, and I loved the way that he dug into the stories of top performers and uncovered what made them so uniquely good at what they do. We started talking on Twitter. I'd help him with email newsletter-related advice, and he'd help me with podcasts and YouTube advice, and that ultimately led to a friendship between us. So I was really excited to bring him on to Imposters, not just because of his success, but because of the way that his career growth so interestingly intersects with his personal growth. As you'll hear in our conversation, Lewis had a difficult childhood and started his career living on his sister's couch with virtually no work experience outside of semi-professional football. Not exactly a recipe for success. But the more that Lewis dug into the things that he was lacking in life, like a mentor and the ability to address his childhood traumas, success inherently followed. Hear the full story right after this quick break. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Okay, we were just talking about all the ways that School of Greatness is crushing it. You know, you've done so much in, let's call it the last decade, between writing a book, your YouTube's at what, 2 million subscribers now? 2.1 almost, yeah. 2.1, you just have built such an unbelievable audience through both great content and also, you know, the podcast you've done since what, 2013? Yeah, this is our 10th year. Yeah, so 10 years of this, right? Like, you've just been consistent with quality content for so long. But like I would say, things were not always so great in your life. You didn't have both the easiest childhood, adulthood, like you've, you've experienced challenges just like all of us, but I want to go through those. So tell me about what were the early years for Lewis Howes like? Oh man, they were insecure. I mean, my, one of my first memories is from sexual abuse, being sexually abused by a man that I didn't know. So I was five when that happened. Jeez. And I didn't tell anyone for 25 years because it was so shameful, so scary, and I didn't understand. Yeah. Like, how do you talk about this when you're seven, eight, and nine, and got you know other boys at school make fun of you for just putting your arm around them like a friend, you know, and and telling you to get off of me and calling you all these names. So I had that kind of as an early memory. Uh, my brother went to prison when I was eight 
for four years, four was and a half. Was your brother well older than you? 11 years older. Okay. So he was 18, 19 when he went to jail for four and a half years. And this was in, you know, small town Ohio. Yeah. Where no one else, I didn't know anyone else's family member that went to prison. Right. So this was like a big deal back in the 80s, late 80s, early 90s. And I wasn't really able to have friends during that time because all the neighborhood parents didn't want their kids hanging out with me. Like everyone knew that your brother course, was in jail yeah. and you were the brother. Of, of course, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was like yeah. small town news, yeah. right? It's small town news. Yeah. And, and also my parents were just, my memory is that they were just never happy together. And there was arguments often. So I didn't feel, I knew they loved me, but they didn't love each other. Yeah. And so it, it made it feeling like an unstable ground, right? For me as the youngest of four. And a lot of the attention was on my brother and just like, we were all going through stuff. So it was just challenging. You know, I struggled in school throughout my entire, you know, schooling days. I was at special needs classes. I had tutors all through college from elementary school to college. So it's just kind of like, I felt insecure. I felt unstable. I didn't understand why things were happening. You know, I think like most kids probably feel some type of uncertainty. And I didn't know how to communicate these yeah. things. I didn't have the tools on how to process in healthy coping mechanisms. I didn't have the tools on how to communicate or heal. And so all this kind of frustration, anger, uncertainty, fear, insecurity drove me into sports. It was like, I didn't find any other skills in school. I was just waiting for like recess and then sports after school and like middle school. That was my outlet to kind of express myself. It's where I found some validation eventually. And so I just became obsessed with being the best I could be in athletics. Every sport I pretty much played in high school and I played three sports in college. And um, the whole goal was to play in the NFL. I, I didn't play in the NFL, I was never that good. I, was, I played in the Arena Football League, yep. but I'm making a whopping 250 bucks a week. So it wasn't like you're, you know, saving money or getting wealthy from this. We literally had food stamps every week that the uh, the team would give us. It was communal housing. So you, they, they put you together in yeah. like a you know two bedroom janky apartment. So you got free rent, food stamps, and 250 bucks a week was, you still had to pay taxes on that. So it wasn't that much. And this was in Alabama at the time. So then I got injured and my whole life came upside down because my identity was tied to sports. Yeah. I was trying to make it to the next level, was trying to, you know, be known for having some value in this thing that I was playing. And now I can't play this thing where I had the most value in my life. So who am I? And at the time, a year before that, my dad had just gotten into a pretty bad car accident where he was in a coma for many months. And he woke up, but he never fully recovered. Like his, it was like he was physically here, but emotionally, mentally gone, right? So my dad was around, but I couldn't have the same relationship with was him. Was he able to like communicate after coming out of the coma? It took him about a year. We had to teach him how to walk and write Jeez. and talk. It was, it, was, it was challenging to see my dad like that. It was like he was a child again, you know, learning the skills of a human being. Yeah. It's really challenging. And did you have a close relationship with him? I did the second half of my life until then. Growing up until I was 13, I kind of feared my dad, right? Then he started to go through some transformational healing work of his own. So I had this like second half of my life where he came to every sporting event, was yeah. kind, was loving, was like amazing. And so it was really sad because he was a great mentor for me in the second half of my life. And it was kind of like I didn't have that mentorship, yeah. you know, when I was 23 anymore. And you know, you have this uh, experience of losing your father when you were what, 17, 18. Mm -hmm. 
And so looking back, I'm assuming you can probably relate to this in some way. Looking back, it's, it was like the saddest thing, but I know that I wouldn't have become who I am without that event yeah. happening because I couldn't lean on him. I didn't have that resource. I had to become resourceful. It was scary, it was challenging, it was not my preferred way of doing it, but it also tapped inside of me something that I think, I don't know if I would have ever got without that experience. Yeah. I don't know if you'd be here at you know, the morning brew. I, I wouldn't. If you didn't have that missing, if that that lack of connection, that lack of resourcefulness, or the, that fallback plan, whatever it is, whatever you want to call it. Totally. My dad was like, you know, go live your dream, and whenever you're dumb, come work with me. Yeah. You know, his life insurance business that he had. And he was like, you can come work with me. I'll teach you everything. Yeah. That's not, I did that for a summer and it's not what I wanted to do. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I worked for the, the company. I did the internship program and I was just like, this isn't it. It's not it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not what I want to do. It's, it's cool. It's cool what he's done, but it's not what I want to do. And so it took me down a path for a couple of years. I was living on my sister's couch, just trying to figure out how to survive. I didn't know how to make money. How old were you at this point? 23, 24. Okay. Um, I had a cast on because I broke my wrist playing arena football. So I had a surgery, I had a full arm cast on for six months in this position. And I was just kind of, and this was right at the end of 2007 when I got surgery. 2008, the economy crashes with the housing market and people weren't hiring. It's kind of like 2020, yeah. you know, yeah, before yeah. 2020, it was like people lost their jobs, people weren't hiring, let alone where they, they weren't hiring guys who took seven years to finish college barely, you know, who <laughs> didn't have any skills. I quickly said, how do I make my life a sport? All I know is sports. I need to make a day-to-day experience with a schedule, with a structure, and I need to find coaches, I need to find teammates, and I need to figure out how to do this like it's a sport. And that's what I did early on. And while most people might not make this analogy, to Lewis, making a sport out of his unemployed situation looks like hours of social media networking. He needed to find coaches and teammates ASAP. And to Lewis, those people looked like successful professionals on LinkedIn. One mentor said, why don't you check out this site called LinkedIn? I think there was like maybe eight or 10 million people on the site at the time. Yeah, early days. 2007. Yeah. And so I start going on there for about six hours a day just researching because I have all this time. I'm not doing anything. I'm recovering from the surgery. I'm on my sister's place. I'm just on the laptop like researching who's on here, who could I connect with, who has opportunities. And for a couple of years, all I did was email people on LinkedIn directly and ask them to give me some of their time to teach me. And I was essentially interviewing people without recording it for a couple of years. How were you convincing them to get on a call, get on calls the with you? The first couple of months, no one replied to me. <laughs> yeah. Because I was asking for advice. Yeah. Then I realized... I started trying different strategies and no one wants to give time to ask for, to answer advice. Yep. No one has five to 10 minutes who's already successful and busy, but they want to share their story of success and how they overcame their challenges. Yep. So I started finding a strategy of connecting with people within the first couple lines of finding three levels of mutual connection, whether it be the university that we went to, whether it be like Ohio. Some, yeah, yeah, some level of hobby, interest, whatever. Yeah or mutual connection and adding three levels of mutual relation in the first couple of sentences. That broke the barrier and allowed me to break through to connect with pretty much anyone I wanted to, if I could find a way to make that happen. And then when I, would, when I was with them, I never asked them for anything. I was just saying, 
this is so inspiring. Thanks for your time. What's your biggest challenge in your business right now? And they would tell me, uh, I'm looking for a great salesperson. I yep. need an IT guy. I need, you know, whatever, a new marketing person to help with this launch. All I was doing was connecting with other great people on LinkedIn that I would call someone I thought could be a good fit for them right there. You literally started brokering relationships Brokering relationships yeah. for the first few years. That's all I did. Because I didn't have a product to sell. I didn't have, I couldn't get a job. I didn't have a skill. But I learned to connect with people and see how can I add as much value as possible. Then I started hosting LinkedIn networking events all around the country. I did yeah. 20 events in one year all around the country using LinkedIn to promote them. And I'd get 300 to 500 people to show up. Every person that would come through the door of a networking event, I would shake their hand and say, who are you and what's your biggest challenge? And they'd say, I run this company, I have, look, I have this job or whatever it is, and my biggest challenge is this. And then I would listen to everyone else's thing and say who they are and their challenge. And I'd just start connecting everyone at the events. Yeah. And I became the champion of people's growth, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Eventually, a lot of people are like, Lewis, can you help me do this on LinkedIn? You know, how, this is amazing what you've done. I started kind of doing one-on-one -on -one coaching, and then I was like, man, I need to just get to, this is too much time. And so then I wrote a book about it, which turned into a course, which turned into, you know, events and, and beyond. So that's kind of how it started. You know, it's so interesting, right? Because you talk about, let's call it, quote unquote, book smarts that at least you didn't feel you had or people didn't feel I, you I didn't had. I didn't have any of it in school, up. yeah. I would say like the number one thing you had was actually giving a shit about people and showing that mm -hmm. by putting them in touch with other people who could help them because you knew at the time you weren't potentially able to help them, but you could find someone who could help them and you were just resourceful as hell. Absolutely. And also, you know, it's funny because I used my weakness as a strength growing up. I could never speak in front of my classmates. Like the teachers would ask us to, you know, read aloud a chapter in the book and each kid go around and stand up and read like a paragraph yeah. or two, right? And every time it got to me, it was just, I would tremble because I had a very, uh, I was a slow reader and I had a very poor reading level. When I went into eighth grade, they tested us in eighth grade for like all of the, you know, math and reading and writing yeah, yeah, and all yeah. comprehension. And I came out with a second grade reading level in eighth grade. So there was just confirmation also because they put me in recess then with tutors every day to give me yeah. the top back up. So it was just like, I never felt confident with communicating using my voice because of the kind of this daily thing of these little traumas every day of yeah, being you were insecure. Yeah, invalidated. Yeah, exactly. And so I said, huh, well, I'm not the best communicator yet which I, then I went to Toastmasters every week for a year yeah. to learn how to speak. For people that don't know what it is, what is Toastmasters? Public speaking class okay. that gives you structure, format, and positive encouragement with a group of trusted advisors. So the opposite of what you received your exactly. whole life. Exactly. And I started saying, okay, I'm gonna master this fear by going all in on the fear, doing it every week and obsessing over it. And that was painful, but it was one of the greatest gifts I gave myself but I'm also gonna use my weaknesses. Okay, I don't feel confident speaking at that time, 2007, 2008. So let me use this, this weakness as a strength by just asking questions and never sharing an opinion. Never trying to act like I know anything because yep. I don't. So let me just act like I care, which I do. Yep. I curiously wanna know how they did these things because I don't know how to do it and I'm trying yep. to get to that level where they're at. And let me just ask them questions that I that I would want to be asked if I had done this, and then not ask them for anything else. And I think 
at the end of it, people were like, man, you're the most interesting person here. Because I just asked questions and paid attention and I was present. I wasn't like looking around to see who else was in the room. I just made that person in that moment feel special. Yeah, and, and just give them the attention that I would want. Because I didn't feel like I had the attention growing up. So I used the weakness growing up as a strength. When we undergo rejection and judgment, our minds and our bodies choose to disengage from the activities that gave us that negative feedback or feeling. But as we grow up and have the power to surround ourselves with reaffirming voices, we start to realize that those parts about ourselves that we hated, that is, our insecurities, they are actually our superpowers. They are what make us unique, and it can be the driving force for many of you who want to excel in your careers or start businesses. And so my advice to you is to take stock of your perceived weaknesses and remove the fear of failure because these quote-unquote weaknesses can actually be major assets in life. We're going to take a quick break here, but when we come back, we'll get into how Lewis grew the massive media company that is the School of Greatness. Stay with us. Today, you know, we're sitting in your studio for School of Greatness. Like you have all of these things now. You have education, you have community, you have a podcast that has gotten, what, over 250 million listens. At least that's what it yeah. says on your LinkedIn. We yeah, may have to well, update yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you have a massive YouTube channel. Like you, you are a media business and brand. At the time, what was the goal in your mind from this? Like, what were you trying to achieve with even going from those LinkedIn events, yes. the, the brokering of those relationships to ultimately starting this podcast and just asking interesting questions? There's probably two things. One was, how do I make enough money to get off my sister's couch? Because for a year and a half, I didn't pay any rent. I didn't, I didn't um, contribute. I was just trying to figure it out. You know, I was just trying to figure out how to survive. I was trying to figure out how to heal my wrist. I was, you know, figuring out dealing with the, my father's situation and the economy. And I was just like, how do I even get a job? I don't know these skills. Yeah. They don't teach this in school. Yeah. I was like, there's so many things that I was learning in those first few years that I was like, I don't know how to manage failure. I don't know how to manage feeling insecure. I don't know how to manage uh, this near death accident with my father. I don't know how to manage the relationships that I was getting in with women and all the ups and downs. Yeah. I don't know how to manage anything except for playing sports. That's the only thing I'm really good at. I eventually started to learn how to make money and I became obsessed with making money because I was just trying to get off the couch yeah. and, and provide for myself. Once I had saved enough and felt like, okay, I've got a couple years of runway from the money I've saved, I realized like, my life still wasn't working. You know, I was in relationships that weren't working, business partnerships weren't working. I didn't feel good inside. Like even though now you were secure, I was more secure financially. Yeah, and it looked like I had things figured out. Yeah, from the oh, Lewis has got a little personal brand, and he's speaking at events now, and he's got some awards, and he's got money, and you know all this stuff, right? But I felt more and more unhappy the more I earned and yeah. gained. And I hit 30 years old and just had breakdown after breakdown after breakdown in life and internally. And I was just like, I should be a lot happier and more fulfilled, but I'm not. And that's when I started going down the healing journey of uncovering, well, why do I feel this way? 
And what are things you learned on that journey? Mm, that I was hiding a lot of things that I was ashamed of, you know, the sexual abuse stuff that I didn't tell anyone. Um, I was really insecure in relationships. I was just hadn't healed stuff from my parents and childhood and relationships. I just hadn't learned how to heal. I learned how to mask my yep. feelings by going all in on the business, by trying to make more, by trying to look better, all these different things. Distractions. Distractions. And, and it was, um, and, and it just wasn't working. It, yeah. wor it worked to an extent of I got some results externally, but I didn't get the results internally. So I started to do a lot of emotional intelligence workshops, therapy, coaches, like in terms of like internal not the external how to do things externally to get results, but how to heal and process emotions and not be triggered in life and how to not abandon myself and how to stop people pleasing, which yeah. has taken me about a nine year journey of like learning how to unwind a lot of these things. And I started making decisions based on a bigger intention in life, a bigger mission as opposed to making money. And that's right around the time when I launched the School of Greatness. I was like, I wish there was something for me right now that they taught me these things in school. I wish they taught me how to deal with failure, insecurity, healing, relationships, managing my finances, all these different things, my yeah. health. I don't know where to go for that. And that's yeah. why I said, I think I've got a good enough network to get this started. So I'm gonna create my own school, School of Greatness. And that's how it started. We have arrived at probably the most crucial turning point in Lewis's life starting the School of Greatness. It's what Lewis is known for today, and it really is something driven out of Lewis's life experiences. When we listen to ourselves, our strengths, and our perceived weaknesses, we can start to get a better idea of what our inner voice is and what our mission in life and career should be. For Lewis, it was all about bettering his communication and creating a safe space that he wasn't afforded growing up. With the School of Greatness, Lewis set the intention of creating this content as an experiment, and he purposefully didn't seek any sort of sponsorship dollars, even as the company grew and grew. Lewis says starting the company was all a part of his healing process, which he considers himself still on today. When I asked him about what he'd say to a younger version of himself, he showed me a picture on his phone. It's a photo of myself on my screensaver. For the last year, over a year now, I've had that photo on there, while I've done more and more of the healing work from those early ages. And, you know, I never felt like little Lewis, myself at five to kind of nine, had the skills, the tools, and the self-love to process a lot of things. And so there was a lot of insecurity and fear and overwhelm uh, and questions that I didn't feel like I had answers to or I didn't feel like I had comfort to in any way. Yeah. And so now I'm able to kind of psychologically go back in time and say, hey, I got you. You're safe. Everything's going to be okay. The, the adult is in the room now, and I'm going to shepherd you through the memories of the past because the memories of the past keep us stuck in the pain of the past, and we bring it to the now, and we keep repeating things that hurt us based on a memory of an event that happened 10, 20, 30 years ago. So the goal has been to heal the memories, to rewrite the story and give them meaning. It doesn't mean bad things didn't happen and that they were okay that they happened. That's not what I'm saying. It's creating meaning from the moments and the memories that hurt me. And that meaning has created a lot of 
peace and healing, yeah. which allows me to make decisions and respond from moments and events of the present in different ways that I used to for so many years, which creates more peace inside, which creates more opportunities, abundance, growth, intimacy, connection, and most importantly, self-love. You used to make decisions, say, based on you know scarcity or having to win yes. or being driven by money. Are there things that come to mind when you think about decisions you've made in the past that you said to yourself, like, not that there's anything wrong with it, but like today's Lewis would definitely not have made that decision? I needed to be number one in everything I did. So it was more about, I, w- I would not sleep because I was just like, I need to be bigger and bigger and bigger and, and more and more and more and I need to be the best at this. Yeah. And so, so many daily decisions were based on that feeling of needing to be number one in my industry. I need to be the number one person on LinkedIn. I need to be the number one person in webinar. I need to be the number one New York Times bestseller. I need to be number one. Because that's how you would feel loved and validated. Yeah, I would feel like I was enough if I was number one, if I was the best in the world. I even have, there was an interview I did before I kind of started the transformational work that I was doing nine years ago, where I think the title was was like, Becoming the best with Lewis yeah, Howes or yeah, something on yeah, someone yeah. else's show where it's like, I need to win, I need to dominate, I need to like destroy the, the competition, right? Yeah. It was like, and now it's funny because my whole brand is built on collaboration yeah. and shining a spotlight on others. Yeah. Not about me being number one. It's about this person I think is really inspiring. Go follow them. And what they're sharing with us is so helpful for our own individual growth and I just acknowledge others. Did you ever worry about how your motivation would change during this journey? And what I mean by that is, you know, something- I thought that, I would lose my edge. Yeah, that's that's what, I, that's what I've been concerned about, right? Even in my own journey, I think in the, the early days of Morning Brew, at least this story I told myself was, I worked so freaking hard because, you know, as we had discussed, like I had lost my dad. Now all I could visualize was money out in the Lieberman household, no money in. Mm-hmm. And I had to make enough to take care of my family, even whether that was a rational thought yes. or not. And so, you know, once we got to a, a point where, you know, we had sold our business and financially I had felt secure and felt security for my family, I really had concern around like, wow, this whether you want to call it a chip on my shoulder or whether this like higher purpose, that's not there anymore. What's going to fill this void? Because there's a lot of people working really freaking hard to be successful. What am I going to have now? Yeah. I think I had that fear. There's an, ad- an identity that I had uh, that I needed to let go of. And so there's a death of an identity, yeah. right? There's a letting go of, there's a shedding process, yeah. whatever it is you want to call it. So I've learned through, again, interviewing a lot of smart people who did it differently. It's like, hey, you can collaborate. Yeah. And you're going to be able to sleep at night. And you're going to have peace inside. Because competition, it's never enough. You're always going to be competing against the next person who's coming after you. Whereas I'm like, great, let's celebrate that individual and, and promote, promote them. And we all win. There's, there's enough room for everyone. I love that. I have another selfish question for yes. you, which is about loving yourself. Uh-huh. Um, because, again... I would say all odds were against you early in life to get to a point where you really felt secure in yourself yeah. and you've gotten to that place. Mm-hmm. And even for me- 39 right? years later, yeah, it took a while. <laughs> yeah, dude, honestly, people spend a whole lifetime yeah. at that point. Mm-hmm. And you know, for me, when people ask me, you know, what is your goal for yourself? The honest answer is the amount of confidence that the world sees in me externally, 
I just want to feel that about myself. Internally. Yes. And, Ooh, and, and do I, you not feel that? I have not gotten to a place yet in life really? where I feel that. I think my natural bias is to be super critical of myself. And I've done therapy for the last nine years, but I'm still on this journey to really get to a place where I'm like, I feel really freaking good about who yeah. I am and what I bring to the table and to the world, but I haven't gotten there yet. So for you, Man. it's like when you think about your nine year journey and you've obviously done many things, mm -hmm. is there either a point in time or like a practice that you did that you felt had a really big impact on you getting to a point where you're like, I feel amazing in, in kind of in who I am? I think uh, I have the tendency to learn things much slower than most people. And yeah. healing is a journey that my therapist says. It's not yeah. like a moment where I'm healed. Yeah, you're going to be doing this your whole life. Or at least for a period of time where you realize, okay, yeah, n this thing doesn't trigger me anymore. Yeah. You know, okay, then you know you have peace over it. You've mended that wound. Yeah. You've allowed it to heal. You don't keep, you know, picking it apart. It's in a healing process. And listen, it's a journey, right? So the thing that helped me the most, you asked me that question, the thing that helped me the most was, doing the different workshops over the years, which would unlock and make me aware and give me some tools and start the process of healing. But really, it wasn't until a year, a little over a year ago, I said, I'm going to commit to therapy every two weeks and really dive in. Yeah. On the weekends, I would do five, six hour sessions with the, with my therapist yeah. and coach and do multiple exercises, you know, multiple processes where I'm writing things, I'm doing exercises with her, I'm reenacting scenarios, totally. I'm creating rituals and burning letter, you know, all these different things to just try different things to connect where I am with the past pain and bring it together for healing. And that process of what I call consistent emotional accountability. This is not, I went to therapy for a, a couple months and then I paused it. This is every two weeks. Emotional accountability. Same way you go to the gym. Exactly. Um, I want to finish up with uh, some rapid fire. Sure. Cool that. So, and I'm going to give you context why I asked this first question yeah. because uh, this is, it ties into my own journey. You know, so my first question for you is going to be very appropriate for all that you do. What does greatness look like for you? Greatness is discovering your unique talents and gifts, developing those gifts, figuring out what your dreams are along the way and making the biggest impact on the people around you in pursuit of those dreams. Two more. If you visualize, right, we're sitting here now and it wasn't me here, but it was uh, the 10 year old version of Lewis sitting at this chair and you're looking at him in the eyes and you can say or do one thing to or for him, what would that be? I would say it's all going to be okay and you are loved. And the last question for you is if your father was sitting here now and he had the ability to express himself to you or speak to you and tell you how he felt about you, what do you think he would say to you? He would say, I'm really proud of you. Yeah, you're, you're living a beautiful mission. Uh, I'm really proud of how you've healed of how you've grown into the man you've become. And the, the mission of service is one of the most honorable things that you're doing. And I'm very proud of you for being on the journey of service. I love it. Yeah. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for the time. My this is great. Appreciate you, man. This is awesome. Thanks, bro. It can be so easy to succumb to our negative self-talk. 
to believe the voices in our heads that tell us we're not smart or that we're not worth the dreams that we aspire to. And even easier to just give up on an endeavor because of it. This is where external judgment leads to self-judgment. And when you're trying to succeed at your job or your own business, you must believe in yourself. This is where Lewis's story provides some brilliant takeaways. When everyone around him was telling Lewis that he was a terrible public speaker, he confronted his weakness instead of running away from it. Now he's one of the most confident public speakers in the world. When he believed he wasn't book smart or experienced enough to succeed in business, he reached out to successful people and asked them how they did it. When he realized that always trying to defeat the competition was making him unhappy, he pivoted and started to collaborate with others, and in doing so, built an even better business than the one he had been working on. So if you're feeling stuck in your career, I think Lewis would challenge you to find the opportunity in your situation. And if it's a weakness that's holding you back, how can you flip that to be to your advantage? Now, imposters listeners, we need your help. We would love to hear from you on how the conversations on imposters have impacted your life. How does this show help you in your career or your personal life? Are there any particular guests or episodes that have stood out to you? And tell me the stuff that you haven't liked where you want the show to get better. Our goal is simple. We want to make this as valuable as humanly possible and make the show worthy of your time. So shoot me an email at alex at morningbrew.com and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. Imposters is a production of Morning Brew. Our senior producer is Vishnu Vallabhanani and Makila Heck is our producer. Brian Henry is our executive producer and A.B. Silver is our booking producer. Our sound engineers are Dan Bauza and Rosemary Minkler. Greg Jacobs is our video producer and Sarah Singer is our VP of Multimedia. Our theme song is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Original music in this episode is by Rosemary Minkler. <laughs>